the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. My goodness, it's my turn again. It would just, you know, how 22 hours passes like that. <laughs> Good afternoon. Welcome to yet another edition of Lifeline unfolding before your shell-like ears. This thing, don't forget, by the way, if you have not yet given a gift to help the Bay Area Rescue Mission provide meals for needy families across the Bay Area, uh, we're trying to provide some 1,000 Boxes of hope filled with a traditional Thanksgiving meal that'll feed the average family of five people. Oh, about a half a dozen meals over the course of the week, and uh, that'll certainly be a huge help to families that, um, quite frankly, at the end of the month have uh, have more months left than they have money. So um, go online right now. You can do so at kfax.com. Click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage. Pretty full show for you tonight. A little bit later on, we're going to talk about the markets this evening. Overheated? That might be almost an understatement as we see what's been going on on Wall Street. The question, of course, is we're seeing inflation settle in. And um, contrary to some of the characterization by the administration, this is not just an overnight thing. It isn't temporary. It doesn't disappear with the wave of a magic wand. Were that the case, Jimmy Carter might have gotten a second term in office, right? <laughs> For those old enough to remember the hyperinflation of, uh, of those days. So what do we make of all of this? And are other positions that we can be taking to help preserve our capital and protect our retirement? Well, Marco Cordoba is going to join us. He is a precious metals expert, and we thought a little bit of a, a different take on the t- subject tonight, so stay tuned for that conversation later on. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, will drop in for an update. News, you might have heard this, that... Um, Senator Patrick Leahy, one of the most staunchest pro-abortion Democrats in the Senate, will be retiring at the end of 2022 after nearly five decades in the Senate term limits. Hello. So we'll talk a bit about the, uh, the implications of all of that. As we uh, meet our first guest tonight, you know, I'll take you back in a journey. Those perhaps not old enough to remember it, myself included, (laughs) but I read about it. The 1950s, in the early days of television, boxing and wrestling were the mainstays of TV in those days. I mean, after all, it was cheap and easy to produce, and viewers ate it up. But as television progressed and matured, the audience's appetite for confrontation never waned, only grew. Today, it appears, division and confrontation has seemingly become our national pastime. In constant search for a good fight, whether it be TV, in person, or via the Internet, we seem to have, in our quest for a good battle of the ideas, lost our ability to discuss, debate, and even compromise. The conversations that once led us to common ground now only lead us to deeper division. How can we recapture what unites us? And what lessons can we be teaching our children about such matters as kindness toward one another, the importance of things like character, and how to create a better future for the next generation? Well, my first guest tonight 
sat down to delineate many of those ideas on paper in a series of letters written to her son, who, although today is perhaps too young to read them, will undoubtedly come to treasure these writings by mom, much as hopefully you will, inside the pages of a new book called Dear Hartley, Thoughts on Character, Kindness, and Building a Brighter World. Just newly released by Center Street Publishers, available at the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. Joining me is Hartley's mom, former co-host of ABC's The View and former co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend on Fox News. We're delighted to have joined us on the program, Jedediah Bila. Jedediah, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That was a, a great intro. I didn't know where you were going to go with that. I was like, is he going to go into the TV segments I've done that feel like boxing? Is he going to go into the letters? There's so many ways you could have gone with that one. So <laughs> thank you so much for that beautiful intro um, about a book that I'm really excited about and passionate about. And I'm fascinated by this because, as I mentioned to listeners a moment ago, um, Hartley, in fact, just a couple of days ago, celebrated his second birthday. Am I right? That's exactly right. He's two years old now. I can't even believe it. I started writing the book when he was just barely one year old. And now I look at him and I'm like, wow, you're like a fully fledged person now. He's like (laughs) talking and running around. It's amazing. Be careful. He'll be be running the entire house shortly. So (laughs) cherish cherish the time while you're able to. But I would imagine, speaking (laughs) speaking of cherishing things, I would imagine when when Harley grows up and is able to read, um, he's going to cherish this book. But I'm curious, the, the motivation behind all of this. I mean, uh, clearly laying down one's life experiences and wanting to have kind of a a permanent record that can be enjoyed by not just your your son, but, you know, someday grandchildren is is extremely valuable. But where 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 was the sort of the the, the birthplace of this idea to sit down and and write to Harley on such Mm -hmm. matters of gravitas as character and kindness and doing the right thing? You know, I always love handwritten letters. I actually intro the book talking about um, a period in my life when I was in college, going through a really difficult time, going through some heartbreak of my own, and wrote to my best friend and what those letters did for me in terms of healing and growth and just finding my way to a better place. And I wrote this book at the start of the pandemic. Um, you know, we were very much isolated. We were in New York City and um, couldn't go outside a lot. Hartley couldn't do a lot of the stuff that I would have loved him to do. You know, mommy and me this or daddy and me that. And I was looking at him and saying, there's so many things I want to tell my little boy um, about the world that was getting increasingly crazy, to be perfectly honest. So I was like, let me let me start writing. And they started his handwritten letters just to him. And quickly, I realized that it was something I wanted to share with the world because it was stuff that I felt everyone could kind of relate in some way, could find a little bit of themselves in. And they were about values that I felt were really, really important to build, you know, strong people, to build strong children, to build strong nations. So every chapter of the book is about something different. Sometimes, I, you know, one chapter is about following your gut and why it's important to do that. Another chapter is about character and what that means and what that looks like, empathy, kindness, um, in an increasingly polarized world, I write about the importance of speaking your mind, even in rooms full of people who disagree, and what that respectful exchange of ideas in a free society should look like. You know, and I, I, I wanted, I wanted, and I still want my kid to grow up and be the architect of his own life, to kind of figure out what he wants his life to look like. So these values that go through this are freedom and free thinking and 
you know, personal responsibility and owning your life and owning your choices and why it's important to say I'm sorry when you do something wrong and why it's okay to be wrong every now and then and own up to that. So it's a lot of stuff that I think, you know, people who are from the political realm will appreciate, but also people who aren't and are kind of tired of the division as a business model television that they watch all day long and need a little bit of an escape. It's something that you'll definitely smile while reading and I think you'll really enjoy it. It's not something you're going to read at the end of the day and it's going to put you into a nightmare before bed. It's definitely going to make you smile. So, And, and you know, I'm, I'm touched by the fact that you're focusing on some very important fundamental values that at one time we sort of took as the norm in America that now seem to be ever increasingly on the, uh, shall we say, the, the endangered species list, including such things as what what freedom means and how hard our mm-hmm. forefathers fought for it and how hard we need to fight to keep the freedom we enjoy or or such things as courage of our convictions where seemingly today that that also kind of seems to be on the chopping block along with such matters as personal responsibility or even growing up and understanding the importance of having a sense of of character of being a person that can be counted on yeah you know i also wrote about the american dream and opportunity you know i grew up very middle-class family. I grew up in Staten Island, New York, uh, in a small condo behind the Staten Island Mall. People used to joke with me, oh, you grew up behind the Staten Island dump. And it was true. That's where I grew up. My parents worked really, really hard to pay off that mortgage and gave me a sense of what it means to produce hard work and how rewarding that is. But I somehow landed on television. And I always say to myself, wow, only in America. And I want him to know what opportunity means in this country and how, you know, capable he is of achieving the things that he wants to. I also write about chivalry and, you know, why is it dead and and what should it mean and why you shouldn't be upset if someone opens a door for you or that's just an act of kindness. You don't have to read, you know, some, you know, feminist dogma into everything that happens. It's just in an effort to analyze and overanalyze often the simple things in life that really have value are being lost. And some of those simple things are just making someone else, you know, doing something nice for someone else without an agenda or, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot in there of, I share a lot of secrets and things and moments I had on television where, you know, I wish I had done things differently or things went in a way that I, I, I wish I had, you know, the ability to kind of go back and I say things like, you know, I have some regrets and these are what they are. And, I felt like a little bit nervous, truthfully, in such a hyper-polarized world to put something out there like this initially because it has my little baby on the cover and, you know, everyone who hates my politics is immediately going to be, you know, dashing my little boy and all that. All of those things went through my mind. But I really felt like the world was in such a need for just some sense of shared humanity and some sense of bringing back those values that are so important. Um, that I, I just kind of put that aside and I said, if I'm asking my little guy to be brave, then let me be brave and let me share this and hope that it touches someone. Um, it's not just for parents, it's for students, it's for, you know, grandparents, it's for teachers, it's for really anyone who's concerned about what's happening in the world right now, in the country right now, and who just, you know, 
wants to feel like they're passing something on to the next generation that empowers them and self-empowers them. Yeah, we seemingly have lost that that sense of uh, heritage and passing the mantle on of, of, of such things as, as hard work and sacrifice. Many of the values that our parents and grandparents grew up with that allowed them to come to a new country and survive. And today, seemingly, much of that is being discounted, if not altogether, um, uh, you know, just tossed aside. And, I, and I'm, I'm struck when you mentioned about the things like opening doors. You know, I, I was raised to believe that that was a way that you taught respect for others. And, and in particular, open the door for someone that's older than you, open the door for a lady. And today, if you do it, um, there's a 50-50 chance you might get a, a stare that a burn <laughs> like a laser burn right through you as if somehow to suggest that there's an ulterior motive to just wanting to be kind to one another and as i mentioned some of these things seem to be on the endangered species list this effort at chronicling and passing on that kind of legacy i think is critically important we're visiting today with jedediah milani say i know the name well of course you do she was a co-host on abc's the view seen her no doubt on fox and friends weekend well this is not her first dalliance at writing it uh, it may be one of her best it's called dear hartley thoughts on character kindness and building a brighter world the book newly published by center street publishers i mean fresh out like the ink is still wet new and you can check it out of course at uh, better retailers near you or the usual suspects including amazon.com and uh, at jedediah's website jedediahbila.com as well we'll take a brief time i'll come back to more of our dialogue more of the conversation as uh, our visit today with best-selling author jedediah bila continues here on lifeline and now back to lifeline with craig roberts and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Jedediah Bila with us today. She's um, sharing a bit of her own heart and what she's detailed in 52 letters that comprise not only a series of um, lessons and thoughts, legacy really, to her uh, young son who just celebrated his birthday a couple of days ago, but uh, sharing all of this with the rest of us. The new book called Dear Hartley, Thoughts on Character, Kindness, and Building a Brighter World. One of the things that I'm, I'm struck by is the notion, and we talk about it on this program all the time, that some of the challenges we see today include a generation that has been raised on the notion that uh, they've been kind of instructed on what to think as opposed to how to think. How important do you think those sorts of values are, personal responsibility and the like, when it comes to raising your son? You know, that first thing you mentioned is, is dear to my heart, because before I got into television, I was a school teacher, and I taught in schools for six years. I taught, you know, seventh grade through college, and I was really concerned about what I saw. I was, I was getting worried about education turning into indoctrination, and I saw that Certain students who felt a certain way were applauded, and students who felt a different way were kind of ostracized and looked down on, and even in assembly halls would be made to feel odd for raising their hand and voting for a certain, you know, response to a question or whatnot. It was all very political, um, and I don't like that. <laughs> I, I don't approve of it. I don't like it. I don't want that for my child. So I'm a passionate defender of diversity of thought and free thinking conversations and engagements with people. And I really want, you know, I've worked in, I worked at The View. I was a lone conservative there. Um, I've worked in places where I've had a different opinion. And it's been really challenging to get that opinion across because I am a free thinking person. And 
I don't tell a line for a politician or a political party. Uh, I am a conservative, but I've been disappointed with the Republican Party plenty over the years. So I like being a free thinking person. I feel like people know that what I'm telling them is really what I feel because I'm not a reliable talking point. And yet sometimes I find myself among reliable talking points and that's a battle. But I wanted my son to know, speak up. You know, I don't want to put you through a system that is going to make you feel like you're going to be punished for holding a certain belief. And I don't care what that belief is. You know, if I raise my son to ask really good questions and he winds up disagreeing with me on something, but really defending how he feels and being able to respectfully have that conversation with me, then that's a a good job that I've done. So that particular value um, and as it relates to schools, um, as well as how it relates to parents and parents feeling like they should have a say. You know, education is supposed to be about education. It's not supposed to be agenda-driven. So if you're a parent and you see something happening in your kid's school, that's your child. You should have a voice, and you should be able to go and, and ask questions and make complaints and have your voices heard as well. So it's about being a free-thinking society that really embraces these kinds of conversations and push back when people feel like, Something is going in a way that is not advocating for freedom or freedom of thought. And, and, you know, the the notion of sort of this paradigm shift we've seen in education in this country where it's less and less about preparing a student for life, giving them the fundamentals, teaching them how to think, teaching them about the importance of, you know, the things in life that are important versus the things that are trivial. Instead, we've turned many public classrooms into uh, social experiments what with, you know, gender dysphoria issues and and whatnot. And parents are afraid to speak up. Uh, Dare they show up at a school board meeting and and. And, and raise a concern. At the end of the day, I, I almost wonder if we're reaching a point now, and it's a few years before you'll have to consider this, but even for yourself, have you and your husband talked about the possibility of maybe looking at alternatives for Hartley's education, such as homeschooling? We have, actually, and that's something that I never thought I would consider. Um, a friend of ours, a family friend of ours, has been homeschooling her children uh, for some time. And I always said, oh, I could never do that. You know, and I also, because it's a lot of work, right? It's a, it's a different level. It's a different kind of investment. And I also, because I taught in classrooms for so long, you know, there's a lot of good that I always felt comes of that, of just, you know, you know, a lot of that social dynamic for kids. But what I'm seeing is just really disheartening and increasingly agenda-driven educational program that is really not about education at all. And, and I'd also say to people, you know, one of the things I write about in the book is, the, the wide umbrella that is actually education, some of the stuff we don't think about as education is actually far more useful in life. You know, I got my master's from Columbia, and I came out and I had this fancy degree, and it occurred to me pretty quickly that I didn't know how to do anything. I, I didn't have any practical skills. I had memorized well. I had gotten all these great grades, you know, 4.0 GPA in college. That all sounds really good. But when I would look at a friend of mine who was living on a farm in Texas and you know, at the time was, you know, operating that farm and and providing food for the family and, you know, knew how to handle electrical wiring in the house if an emergency happened and just had all of this hands-on practical knowledge. Um, A child in that family was also homeschooled and part of the homeschooling involved learning all of these things. I remember thinking to myself, wow, I I messed up, you know, (laughs) and that's not to say that you can't get, you know, good things out of a master's degree or you, but but just remember that there's a lot out there that doesn't come from textbooks and doesn't come from a standard educational system. That's really valuable. You know, we, we live in a town right now and, you know, we have a plumber come to the house. It's amazing. I mean, the things he can do, I'm fascinated by. And, you know, 
during the pandemic, I think you saw a lot of those people be so valuable. You know, a lot of the people who lived in New York City apartment buildings were used to calling the super and getting something done. Well, guess what? During the pandemic, they weren't, people weren't responding to those calls. Everyone I knew who was self-sufficient and had these practical skills, they were fine. They were just handling life. But I said, wow, if they were, you know, in one of these survival movies, I would be long gone and they would be surviving. So I think I think you also have to remember that as a parent. And it's challenging for someone like me. I grew up in Manhattan. You know, I was the call the super and fix it girl. But now that I have a child, I'm like, you know what? I want him to be able to, to build something, to fix something, to know the sense of self-worth and self-reliance that comes from that. That I think a lot of the older generations understand a lot better than I do, but I want my kid to have that. So um, that's an important component of, of an unconventional kind of view of education that I think doesn't get spoken about enough. Well, I tell you, I think uh, Hartley is going to be in for um, quite an experience when he uh, reaches the stage that he can uh, begin to understand and digest all that you're sharing inside the pages of this new book. And uh, I appreciate, uh, Jedediah, not only your candor in willing willing to um, essentially share this with, with the world, even though, as you point out, there may be some critics that are going to come on and pile on just because that's what they do. Uh, but I think it's really important and an important lesson that I think all of us need to be mindful of in, you know, as Scripture says, to train up a child in the way he or she should go, and that the responsibility we have as parents and adults to pass on the good things in life, to pass on what it means to be responsible, to have a sense of personal responsibility, uh, such matters as, as character, uh, girls learning to be ladies, men learning to be gentlemen. I mean, I know you use those words today and, and, and be ready for somebody to hit, cut your head off, but, but the reality is um, our kids are missing out. And our nation is heading in a very dangerous direction, absent these values that were the values, quite frankly, that helped found this nation, get her through multiple wars. And um, I sure appreciate the time today, uh, Jen and I. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope everyone enjoys the book. You bet. Again, there is Jedediah Vila. The new book is called Dear Hartley, Thoughts on Character, Kindness, and Building a Brighter World, newly published by Center Street. You can get it through Amazon.com or through Jedediah's website, JedediahBila.com. 5.32, we're a bit late. Let's get you updated on some traffic here. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you have um, been hearing us talking about our campaign to provide meals for a thousand needy families, families really living on the edge this year because of uh, the compound challenges of COVID and the economy and the cost of living, particularly in the Bay Area, um, and you have not yet perhaps made your call, made that pledge, I want to encourage you to do so. We got T-minus seven days and counting exactly down to Thanksgiving. And uh, starting early portion of next week, the Boxes of Hope will begin uh, distribution in earnest to all of the families coming to receive them. And so we want you to be a part of that Thanksgiving miracle in not only addressing the felt needs, but the spiritual needs as well of these hurting families. So go to KFAX.com, click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage, and to find out more about the ministry, you can simply find them online at BayAreaRescue.org. That's BayAreaRescue.org. Gift of $60 will provide the average family of five enough meals to get through several days so uh, this this is going to be make it and break it time for some families dealing with high cost of living you've seen the price at the pump now they're dealing with you know pay the electric bill to keep the heat on or 
go have a nice Thanksgiving meal. And for a lot of families, that just isn't an option this year. Let's bring some hope and encouragement into their life. Go to bayarearescue.org. All right, much to talk about. Speaking of the holidays, our dear friend Shelly Beach will join us later on. We'll talk about the challenges of being a caregiver during the holiday season, and in particular, how you meet the needs of a loved one dealing with Alzheimer's. That conversation coming up a little bit later on in this first hour. You have no doubt seen the news. The jurors in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial went home this evening and will gather tomorrow for their fourth day of deliberations in an effort to try and reach a verdict in the controversial shooting case. As you'll recall, Rittenhouse, age 18, charged with first-degree intentional homicide, first-degree reckless homicide, and attempted first-degree intentional homicide stemming from the shootings of that violent night of protest following an issue of, again, sadly enough, police brutality, in this case in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Rittenhouse facing a mandatory life sentence if convicted on the most serious charges. This once again raises concerns over once the verdict is handed down, how will the public respond? Violence historically begets violence. Help us pour a little bit of oil on those waters. We're joined now by a very special guest, Dr. Alvita King. She, of course, the niece of the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. She is founder of Speak for Life, best-selling author and Fox News contributor. Dr. King, always a uh, extreme pleasure to have you join us on the program. Well, it's just a blessing to join you tonight as well, young listeners. Hello, everyone. This um, this is an, a, a, a troubling case. There, there's there's aspects of it that feels very vigilante justice in it, and I know that there's been a, a microscope put on not only the case but also on the handling by the judge and so forth. But but perhaps to the to the heart of the bigger concern here, and that is that once this is handed down, while there are not necessarily direct racial overtones to this case, um, there are concerns nevertheless that it has the potentiality in terms of the reaction on the streets. To go the way we've seen other verdicts, uh, going back as far back as 92 with the Rodney King verdict, um, more recent memory in 2014, the Ferguson riots, certainly the tragic riots that resulted from the um, the tragic death of George Floyd in Minneapolis in uh, just barely a year and a half ago in May of 2020. How do you think all of this is going to come together? I'm just really not sure. There are several directions that the decision could take, what the jurors could do or just not do. However, I think we've been here before. And with me having lived for seven decades, I'm 70 years old, I have lived through America's uh, challenges and joys and sadness and all of that. So I'm, I was watching and I decided, I just sat here and I began to pray. And I said, God, there's too many things happening at once we've got the Rittenhouse case. All right, so what we have in three different states, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Wisconsin, an opportunity for violence, confusion, and fear to erupt and break forth. So I just sat here and I began to think about my dad, Reverend Alfred Daniel Williams King, and he talked about, in the midst of turmoil, how Jesus spoke to the storm and said, peace be still. So I said, Lord, somebody's got to call for prayer, wisdom, peace, and we have to not be confused and angry and frightened and violent, but we've got to have some reason and some human dignity. So that's where I find myself um, as we're waiting for this decision to come forth. 
And of course, as you point out, not only do we have a history of explosions happening in a, in a figurative and almost literal sense following the controversial trials of this case, but we're in the midst of others to, to, to see in the short horizon. We're right in the middle of the Ahmed Aubrey shooting case in uh, there in Georgia, and, uh, and, and there are dynamics of that that are very unhealthy as well. Absolutely. And then in Oklahoma, the government did decide to stay in execution uh, and give a life sentence. So all of these things are happening at one time. People are still somewhat reeling from the fear and the uh, fright of COVID and so many different things have having an opportunity to throw us into confusion and anarchy and chaos. But the answer is not. We've got to fear not to be nonviolent to remember human dignity in each of these situations. And so uh, it just so much depends on the human hearts and the human consciences that have to answer all of this as well. So I just want the violence to end. Interestingly enough, I had been reading some letters from some little children, and a school teacher had them write papers. What is your dream? You know, and so they would say, I have a dream that COVID will be on. I have a dream that people will stop dying and hurting each other. And so some of the answers and directions for prayer can be gotten from the letters of these little children who really just want peace and safety again. Can that happen in America? Absolutely. What will it take? We've got to be reasonable. We've got to be nonviolent. We have to have some wisdom. We have to remember human dignity and not fight each other and allow ourselves to simmer, 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 bubble over and erupt it to violence. That's what we have to understand. We're one blood, one human race anyway. So the issues of racism, for instance, we're fighting over skin color and letting ourselves be deceived into thinking that having different skin color makes us different races. And then we give it an answer. Oh, let's be colorblind. Let's not see each other's ethnicity. We need to see each other, regard human dignity. We need to pray. We need to repent. So my heart is just so stirred today in considering what can happen and what will happen, even with the Rittenauer case. So I'm just asking people to pray and be reasonable and not just fight and be scared. You know, the, the enemy just revels in division and sowing yes. seeds of, 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 of discourse and infighting. Fear, confusion, discourse, and all these things. Yep. Yeah. And and your your, your point, I think, is, is a very poignant one, uh, Dr. King, and that is the notion that we need to, number one, act like adults, start behaving like adults, and be mindful that in our behavior, in our reaction to even cases like the, the pending verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, that how we behave is being watched at two levels. It's being watched, number one, and most importantly, by God himself, yeah. and second Secondarily, it's being watched by young children, and they're going to pattern their life after the kind of mentoring that we display. And if we display calm and reason and we work together, we dialogue, we talk things out, we find points of, of, of unity and points of compromise, everything will be okay. If we continue to act like a bunch of crazy fools, as my grandmother used to say, <laughs> children are going to see that, and they're going to learn from that, and then they will grow up to repeat the mistakes of this generation. Absolutely. And so we stop now by praying. And my prayer, really, even listeners, honestly, as you examine all these matters that are before us, 
do just have some wisdom and some prayer and fear not and fight not and let's calm this storm or allow God to calm it in our hearts at least. And so that's really what motivated me to get get on the computer today and to say, say peace be still. Peace be Amen. And this is a good opportunity to to call all the church together, uh, to be in that spirit of of pouring the oil on the water, as we said earlier, be in prayer for the nation, and encouraging people to, yeah, take a deep breath, peace, be still. Dr. Ovita King, it's always a privilege and an honor to have you join us on the program. By the way, she continues to be heavily involved in the pro-life movement. Information on the web at priestsforlife.org. There's Dr. Alvita King, 515 from KFAX. Let's get you an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you are a Social Security recipient, you probably did a double take when you opened your letter have they gone out yet? I think they've gone out, yes. Uh, or maybe heard about it on the news. That you could anticipate a 5.9% COLA, that's a cost of living adjustment, come 2022. Pretty remarkable. When you consider the fact that it's been 13 years since we've seen a number anywhere near that amount. Uh, I think it was about 55 Eight at the time. This year it's going to be 5.9, so just a tenth of a percent difference between the two. And all of that, of course, if you've forgotten what happened in 19, uh, 2008, 2009, we were in the middle of the real estate derivatives debacle, and we saw the bottom fallout of real estate prices, and it was, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so um, in stepped the, the government responding to inflation, and Social Security recipients were given a pretty healthy raise. If you're a Social Security recipient and you occasionally still drive a car or go shopping, right, you want to do, have a little something to eat every now and then, you've also probably discovered that 5.9% seems paltry up against the increase of the price at the pump or what you're paying for food in the average grocery store. So what's behind all of this? Why are we seeing some of the highest inflationary rates in, my goodness, 30-something years? Well, to help us better understand what's going on, and quite frankly, what potentially may be many government missteps that, if not created the problem, certainly have exacerbated it, we've got our buddy Bob Zadek to join us. Now, typically, I introduce Bob as one of the leading experts in the United States Constitution, the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in the country, best-selling author, all those good things. You may not be aware that, in addition to all of that, Bob is also an expert in commercial finance. He is both a lawyer and a CPA, and on this topic in particular, probably one of the best prepared minds to help us understand exactly what's going on with inflation. And the big question we're all wondering, how long will it last? Bob, as always, a privilege to have you join us. Craig, with that glowing introduction, I almost was going to hang up and pretend I had a bad connection because I'll never live up to that uh, billing you gave me, but I'll sure do my best. Uh, I'll try to do that. I, so thank I, you very much for that very generous introduction. I, I believe, in fact, you will you will not only meet but exceed expectations. Now, Bob, let's talk about this. We've been hearing the word inflation bantied about in the news media for quite some time. As I indicate, anyone who's been to the grocery store or the pump lately has seen a significant uptick. But all of this... <sighs> 
All of this is not necessarily what it appears to be on the surface. And by that, I mean this, that a lot of people believe, and perhaps falsely so, that inflation is a result of a widening gap between supply and demand. We're hearing that, well, manufacturing was slowed because of COVID, and now that people are back to work and out and about, their demand for services and goods is back to normal, and yet the supply chain has not been able to to meet that demand. Now, my understanding is that is somewhat of a rickety uh, definition, if not altogether inaccurate, because at the end of the day, a lot of this inflation that we're experiencing really goes back to an issue of, of, of money supply, not necessarily a decrease in goods supply. Is that accurate? It's 100% accurate, Craig. And it's a very, we start with a very simple principle, a principle that everybody listening to this show um, will experience hourly in their lives. And that is uh, in the core relationship between supply and demand, if anything is plentiful and easy to acquire, it's inexpensive. We all know that. If something is scarce and less available, it costs more because more people want it than the it is, than the quantity of things that are there around. More people want it. Therefore, if I want it and you want it, and there's only enough for one of us to be satisfied, what happens? I go to the seller and I say, whatever Craig will pay you, I'll pay you $5 more because I really want it. And Craig says, no, I really, really, triple really want it, and you offer more. What happens? To the seller, the price has gone up. He has the same commodity offering for sale, but because he can't satisfy everybody's demand, the people who want it more will pay more. And thus, the demand uh, for a product uh, influences and affects its price. Well, very obvious. We all know that from the first time we had a lemonade stand in the street. So we know that. that that's it. We just know it. Now, what about money? Well, money is the same thing. You use the phrase money supply. The more money that's in there, the more money that's in the system, the bigger the supply. Therefore, the value goes down because it's easier to get. There's more of it. So when the Treasury, when the go- I'll just say the government, before we drill down too much between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury, the, the government, which is the only entity that, lawful, that creates lawful ten- tender, when it uh, puts money into the economy, there's more of it, therefore a dollar is worth less, which means a dollar buys less, which means you need more dollars to, bu- to acquire what you, tomorrow, what you used to acquire for less dollars today. It's all so darn simple. And if the government pulls money out of the economy, the reverse happens. So let's first of all acknowledge that inflation, that is the decreased value of a dollar, the purchasing power of a dollar, is a direct result of decisions made by our leaders in Washington. So it's a government, it's, there are other factors that make it more complex, but certainly 
we cannot argue with the the most obvious explanation of monetary policy and what it means to us. Now, if inflation is happening, one could say, well, nobody ought to care because, yes, the price of gasoline has gone up, but since the price of everything goes up, that means my salary will go up accordingly or it'll take more dollars to buy an hour of my time and that is true in the long run but not in the short run it is always lagging it is easy for the price of gasoline to go up a seller of gasoline just has to change the dial on the pump it's kind of easy it's much harder for you to go to go to visit your employer and say okay i would like a 2.16% increase starting tomorrow because to match the one the 2.16 increase in gasoline. Well, we know it doesn't happen that way. Getting a raise is an event that happens infrequently. It doesn't float with inflation. It doesn't just go up automatically. So the prices go up, respond much quicker to inflationary pressures then does the income part of it so therefore wage earners are always trying to catch up during inflationary times and that is what's happening now so until you do catch up which you never will the adverse effect on what things cost will be more immediate than the mitigating effect on what you earn ultimately you'll catch up you'll get a raise in seven months or whenever your salary is reviewed and you'll be kind of caught up but by that time you will have caught up to inflation that was six months ago you're always behind so therefore what have we concluded we've concluded that the effect of inflation hits those people whose income is kind of fixed now everybody's salary is fixed it doesn't go up it doesn't float with the prime rate it doesn't go up with inflation it's kind of fixed except every once in a while it goes up but until it goes up it's fixed therefore you're always behind the eight ball now what does that really mean and why does government tolerate it of course inflation operates if you're the government exactly the way a tax increase operates except you don't get voted out of office as you would for a tax increase. So inflation is, if you're a politician, a painless tax increase. Why is it like a tax? Because when a government puts, how does the government put money into the marketplace? Well, primarily it does by, by borrowing. It borrows money and, um, and money uh, goes in to the marketplace, uh, which means the government, in effect, gets in effect gets an immediate benefit to pay back later when the debt becomes due. So the government is borrowing against the future, and when it pays back the money that it borrows, it pays it back with dollars that are worth less. So the government, in effect, borrows a hundred cents and pays back ninety-eight cents. That's a good deal. Thus, government gets the benefit of the money 
but not the, the, the ballot box detriment of being voted out as they would with a tax increase. So governments kind of, putting aside the voters, governments kind of benefit from inflation they are the beneficiaries. That is why, uh, and it's a byproduct of government policy. So if you want to know what's causing inflation, it's not being caused by shortages. A shortage, the so-called supply chain breakdown, that affects certain commodities, but not everything. When government's monetary policy causes inflation, it affects everything. Well, of course, the irony here, too, is that typically, and this is just good old-fashioned American uh, consumerism and capitalism, that when we see there is an increased demand for something, the smart business person, the smart entrepreneur says, gee, I'm looking at the lines going out the door from the hamburger stand on that corner. They can't meet the demand. I'm going to open one down the street. And I'm going to give people an alternative. And so typically, business is able to step in when it notices an uptick in demand and address it to meet that demand and therefore have a profit factor. But the other issue here, and I want to really unpack this when we come back after the break, and that is this notion that so much of this is being driven by the government, the injection of money into the system through stimulus money four times over, maybe, during the COVID period, the unemployment bonus, the Fed buying up bonds, quantitative easing version two, coupled with low, low prime rates. I think today I saw the lending rate for a mortgage at 3.25%. So what, what must be the bank's pain in the overnight Half of that, less than that? No. In fact, I think it's uh, it's sitting at uh, zero to point two five basis points. So, money is cheap, money is plentiful, money is being floated, uh, being flowed into the market at alarming rates. And guess where a lot of the responsibility of this sits? Squarely on the shoulders of the government, whose answer is, let's go spend more money. <laughs> We'll talk about why that's really bad policy and pretty bad when it comes to trying to, quote unquote, control inflation as our conversation with an expert in commercial finance, lawyer, CPA, syndicated talk show host, best-selling book author, Bob Zadek. Our conversation with Mr. Zadek continues right after we get you an update on traffic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 